Hey everybody, welcome back to the Pixelless Podcast, the podcast about all the nerdy things we love and enjoy. I'm Will, that's Blake. Today we're here to talk about some Critical Role. How you doing, man? Doing good. It's the best way to record Critical Role discussions when it's on actual Critical Role Day. That's right. And and that's where we are today. It is it is uh, Thursday. The episode goes live in about four hours, so... <laughs> Uh, here we are. <laughs> Just in time. You know, we got perfect pixelless content to tide you over right until the episode drops. So I wish we could say that we're like, you know, I don't know why I chose to like hydrate. <laughs> I like, like that right dramatic mid drink <laughs> yeah. pause there. That was very parched all of a sudden. And then I was like, <laughs> as I was taking the water, I had like this nervous realization of like, oh, what am I doing right now? <laughs> we'll edit this part out. That so amazing. Anyway, um, what were we talking about? What was going on? You said, I like how, and then you paused for the drink. <laughs> and then you never said anything. Um, oh, I was going to say, if we were like multi-millionaires, bro, we would probably be like, what do you want to do today? Well, dude, let's talk critical role. Yeah. But alas, we have real lives, um, jobs, kids, um, shenanigans Indeed. on the day and day after. Uh, and so we're recording this on Thursday. And for our fans who are watching... Will, we should we should tell them the news. Which oh, I think I know what you're talking about, but how about you tell them? <laughs> Shouldn't even really call you guys our fan. I mean, we're all mutual fans in the the D D verse. Um, but we hit one thousand subs. Yay! Yay! We did it. Just yeah, we're there's definitely <laughs> we don't have like the operating budget to like have any kind of like awesome sounds play, like yeah, or like, you know, CGI in, <laughs> you know, confetti, but choose your imagination and you're good. Um, but yeah, I hit a thousand subs. So we're going to be rolling out, uh, you're my, you, my friend, you're going to Iceland tomorrow in two days, and, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so probably won't do this right away, but definitely, I guess you're gone for about 10 days. Yeah. Almost two weeks, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. So on the morrow, yeah. once you return, <laughs> we will, um, do that giveaway. It'll be for a copy of Taldore Reborn, um, a dice set. Um, and then uh, I'm going to throw in a big one. Oh, I'm going to throw in a one year subscription to Dimension 20's Dropout uh, TV. Oh. In case you guys have been wanting to catch some of that premium content from Britton Lee Mulligan. Dang. Um, so we'll throw that in as <laughs> am well. I, am I eligible to win this <laughs> Hang on, hang on. All of a sudden, I just had like this, like, wait a second, how much is it for a year? Because <laughs> um, I think it's $5 a month. $300. I'm pretty sure. Right, hang on, let's see here. Before I commit to this. But yeah, right, well, so, yeah, yeah, we're good. Oh. Okay, we're good. Yeah, yeah. Just all of a sudden, <laughs> I just had this sudden thought of like, wait, what if it's like $500? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I will throw in a one-year subscription for uh, Dropout TV, Dropout.tv, where you can catch Dimension Twenty and uh, other Brennan Lee Mulligan content, which will we on the channel we really loved uh, Calamity, and so all that to say, if you want to be involved in that giveaway, um, you have time actually to subscribe if you aren't a subscriber yet. Yeah. Uh, but then here in probably about two weeks, we'll roll out that giveaway. And um, should we do them all in like one package or should we have like three giveaways? Ooh, like one person a, gets this, one person gets the book. Oh, that's a good idea. Well, we got some time to dwell on it. What do you guys think? If anyone has a, 
an opinion. Should we split it? I'll do it to one. They're like, split it, and the person who wins is like, give it all to <laughs> Yeah, never mind. One. I changed my mind. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so apologies for going out of town right when we hit 1K, but at least this will give us some time to work out the the details. How um, dare you for going on vacation? I know. Uh, you know, a long time coming. We had this planned pre-COVID, so it was like two and a half wow. years ago that this was supposed to happen. Um, that's crazy but yeah if anybody that listens to this podcast or watches this is familiar with iceland hit me in the comments with some suggestions of what to do there um if we have like an iceland aficionado i first of all hats off to you but definitely let us know the spots that will are you gonna do any vlogging when you're there uh i don't know what the cell service is gonna be like but if i assuming i have service and some sort of plan i'm gonna like probably try to live stream like if we're at somewhere really nice but i imagine there's probably not going to be great service but who knows okay cool we'll see well having said that are we ready to rock i think so so uh yeah thanks again just for everyone that has subscribed and for those of you that aren't you got a couple weeks to still be eligible um Mm -hmm. you can always subscribe then unsubscribe after the giveaway (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) wouldn't hold it against you (laughs) i will though (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, so I guess let's let's dive into it. Um, <clears throat> if you're new to us, by the way, we're the Pixelists. We talk a lot of Critical Role, and what we like to do is a <laughs> brief recap, if you'll allow me to use the word brief, uh, before each episode, before we dive into the discussion and the theory crafting portion of the podcast. Uh, and we actually cut that recap out and host it separately on YouTube for your recap convenience. So if you find yourself on that video. Uh, check down in uh, the description box or the comments to for the link to the full podcast. And struggled through that. I feel like I haven't <laughs> said that blurb in a while. Anyway, but yeah. So without further ado, though, let us jump in to the recap of episode 30 of campaign three of Critical Role, Reunion and Revelation. Okay, so the episode picks up with the party traveling across the Hellcatch Valley and their two crawlers headed toward the Callaway Layaway. They eventually come up to this like large ravine and are using a narrow bridge to make their way across it. Uh, and another crawler coming from the opposite direction is like speeding toward them. They get out of the way and they notice the driver as they quickly pass um, has like this red streak beneath one of his eyes. And FCG notes that to denote a member of this ruiner gang, uh, the fist of the ruiner faction. Um, Orem then takes note shortly after that of what seems to be a flare being shot off in the sky, and they soon realize they are driving into a trap on the other side of the bridge. A big automaton emerges 15 to 20 feet, as Matt describes it, with a few different people uh, visible riding on it, and it's got all sorts of mounted uh, weaponry and rifles, and it's more members of this Fist of the Ruiner gang. And they basically tell the party, hey, leave all your valuables, all your belongings, turn around and leave or die um <clears throat> imogen tells them like hey all we have is this backpack which if you'll recall uh bells hells had this bomb commissioned back for the death wish run race uh but they didn't end up using it so that's what she's referring to when she says hey all we have is this backpack and so she goes and leaves it next to the giant automaton and then kind of backs up and telepathically starts the like ignition of the bomb uh, the leader of the bandits named Maricris yells that, you know, your party will pay homage. And then poof, the explosion goes off. It's such a cool moment. Yeah. <laughs> and we roll initiative. So just to hit the highlights of this combat, 
<laughs> the craziest, biggest thing that happens is Imogen drops a lightning bolt into the automaton um, and some of its passengers. And then Laura asks, like, hey, how did all that black powder that, you know, those rifles are clearly using respond to being hit by lightning? And Matt is like, okay. <laughs> and he does some rolling and he's like, yeah, there were 237 charges loaded into that weapon. So all 60 shots are going to go off at once, aimed loosely. So basically what happens is he rolls damage for five shots per person kind of in this vicinity. So everyone takes a chunk of damage. Um, Hondir, the goblin that is traveling with Bell's Hells, is knocked out. And two of the bandits are completely blown away. Uh, another bandit on the crawler crests this like spear of acid at the party and he knocks FCG and Imogen unconscious and makes Birdie look real rough and this acid damage actually continues round after round. Um, Fern, brings back, uh, Fern brings FCG back up who then brings Imogen back up. However, at the end of their turn, the acid deals damage again and it knocks FCG out again. Um, at the end of Imogen's next turn, the same thing happens and so she gets knocked out again. Meanwhile, the massive crawler has begun to attempt to retreat. Um, <clears throat> Ashton shoves a healing potion into FCG's mouth to bring him back up, and Chetney gives one to Imogen. Merichris, meanwhile, runs toward the automaton to try to retreat with it, but Birdie casts sleep on him and he collapses. Uh, Fern then gets the how do you want to do this on the last gunner, and Ashton actually pickpockets her, pickpockets her as she does, and he gets like a giant blue thimble. Um, FCG runs over to Hondir, heals him back up, um, but while this is happening, Birdie then gets knocked out by the recurring acid damage. And because she was still driving the crawler, she actually runs over Maricris, whom she just put to sleep and kills him. Uh, finally, Laudna casts darkness on the retreating automaton. And a few minutes later, they can basically hear it tumble off the ravine because it was just aimlessly walking. And they basically hear a big explosion. Um, the party then kind of recovers from this and Orem makes a history check on these Fist of the Ruiners gang and he finds out that Marquette was once this lush jungle land and the Ruiner was this betrayer god that attempted to destroy the entire continent but was thwarted by a heroic sacrifice. Um, they get about 420 gold pieces of loot and a couple of like large carbine rifles and Birdie says, hey, we're still about an hour away so let's get back up and get going and that's where we take our break. Yeah, so um, great job, by the way. Interesting reference to a certain uh, apocalyptic event that was averted. Maybe we'll have That's to right. talk about that yeah, yeah, in we, our discussion. We well, so when we come back from the break, uh, the party fortunately gets a short rest as they wearily ride uh, over to Birdie and Ollie's hideout. And it's here that, um, that they actually do get to make their reunion with uh ollie and actually ira as well so they pull up to basically this cave below a mesa and there's kind of like this vibe of maybe this was like an abandoned layer of like some um maybe one of the scrap gangs or something to that effect and ollie and birdie basically moved in and took it over so they pull in um birdie's basically like yeah ollie and ira are deeper inside i think they're working and Birdie stays back with Chetney to basically like cover the tracks and just make sure there's nothing like directing them into this cave. So um, meanwhile, the party goes deeper into this cave, this network of tunnels. It's, it's um, a bit hoarder-esque in the sense of there's lots of supplies everywhere. There's actually, interestingly enough, there are these purple glowing rocks 
that well i can't remember if they were growing out of the earth or if they were collected there Do i you think remember? i think the application was that they were put there well they looked very familiar to the gnarl rock in fact um fcg is tempted to actually touch one and birdie is like oh no like it they definitely it feels like you want to touch them but don't like stay away from them like ollie's convinced me not to mess with them and imogen actually um uh does sending or does message with fcg um and basically is like careful um fresh cut like it'll take a hold of you and he's like i wasn't going to touch it i was just curious but we may see that again in a maybe next episode all that to say the party heads deeper into the tunnel they come into this massive open room with basically what you describe as a massive uh, telescope a huge telescope um, that uh, is in the center of the room, and they finally see Ollie. Um, I think it was an elven man with shaggy hair. Is that right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, it was an elven man, and um, Ollie and Fern embrace. I think Fern actually picks him up. Just like we saw with Birdie, Ollie's like, wow, you're so tall. Like You've, you've really grown up fast. And we basically come to find out that Ollie is just as surprised as Birdie, but Ollie says that um, she should be around the age of around maybe 14 or 15, and yet here she is at 120. Um, also in this sort of get-together, um, Ira comes crawling or slithering out from behind the telescope, um, very coyly says, hello, friends, as he's tinkering on the telescope and the party is basically like, Hey, we don't know how we feel about you. Like you, you were like <laughs> sacrificing creepy. children and yeah, you're also super weird. Um, Ira interestingly enough says, well, I, I'm not the one who was getting children for experiments. That was my employer, uh, implying Armand Treshi. And it's interesting that the party doesn't do an inside check cause it's different from what we saw, um, earlier in the season in the campaign, excuse me. Um, but they seem okay with that answer. And then Ira basically says like, Hey, also I gave you guys some extra time to get out of the tower before it blew up. And they're like, okay, yeah. So with these two data points, they're like, all right, Ira, you're at least cool enough for us to <laughs> hang out with for now. Um, and they basically ask like, what are you doing here? What are you working on? Ollie tells a story that is very similar to Birdie's story in that, um, Ollie offers an added insight that he's gifted with something called the squint, which is basically like this prophetic um, gift that he has. And he had a vision of the, basically the fey wild withered away with like this red dust uh, of what remained. Um, a Basically a, a power or a force that basically comes and decays and destroys the fey wild. And he came to associate that with Ruidus. And also in his vision, he saw the silhouette of Birdie at the center of it. And now that he's seeing Fern, now he's wondering if it actually wasn't Birdie, but it was actually Fern, uh, which is an interesting callback to um, Dark Fern from EXU uh, in some ways. Yeah. So having said that, um, they continue to talk about like exactly what happened. Birdie explains, or excuse me, uh, Ollie explains that um, we knew the Unseelie Court was doing something. They were building something. And so we took the Moontide Crown. And it's at the center of this telescope. Um, it's an artifact of great power. I think he even admits that he put it on at one point. 
um, yeah. and that it draws its power from both of the moons, uh, but that it's a powerful magical item. It's also in this moment that Fern reveals the um, weave lens uh, and basically says like, hey, you know, this is what Mori wanted me to bring to you guys. Ira immediately snatches it up and begins installing it into the telescope. It's also around this time that Chetney and Birdie come back and um, Chetney like makes a joke about seeing Ira's insides or <laughs> it's very combative. Um, part is like, we're cool for now. Um, something interesting though, we saw Chetney in a previous episode call out um, basically you, uh, Erica Ishii's character, as um, some holes in, in their uh, story does the same thing here with Ollie and Birdie and basically is like, oh, so you guys just saw this machine and you decided to take it and like, that's yeah. it? Um, we don't know if, if his insight's accurate or not, but we know at least that Travis is very suspicious of this whole story. And Birdie and Ollie seem fairly naive about the whole thing or like, or, or rather casual of like, yeah, this is just what happened. So... Um, there is an added detail that happens where um, the party's asking more about the, the age discrepancy and Bertie and Ollie basically talk about Morgan and how Morgan's domain, like people don't, um, they don't trespass her. Like she's a powerful witch. I think they even maybe mention her as a hag at one yeah. point. And they basically realized that um, Fern has been sort of stowed away in like a separate implied like separate um, time bubble, I guess, where Morgan's kind of watched over her, but it seems to be the explanation for Fern's age. Um, there also, also is an interesting comment where um, Ollie's in, in describing uh, Morgan, who by the way is, I think Fern says is 15 to 20 feet tall. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, actually says something along the lines of for, uh, Morgan never offers anything without asking for something in return, something like that. And it's right after they're talking about receiving the, um, the weave lens and Fern has this light bulb moment and says, so am I what you offered to get the weave lens? And Bertie and Ollie kind of had this light bulb of guilt of, Oh, I thought she was just watching you for us, but maybe there actually was a trade that happened there. Um, they table it. Ira actually um, shows, pulls Ladna to the eye of the telescope and uh, actually shows Ladna this, this weaving mystical energy above the mesa, which he describes as a ley line and actually points the telescope to a position over a dark jungle where three ley lines are seemingly coming together at a nexus point. Um, unfortunately, he then points it at Ruidus and Ladna rolls a seven and can't quite perceive what's happening other than it seems like some kind of swirling storm or energy. And Ollie basically says the thing about Ruidus is that it feels like there's sort of this magical energy protecting it. Like you can't really seem to pierce through and see what's really happening there. Uh, now with the weave lens installed, um, Imogen steps up and looks through, has a terrible roll. <laughs> Again. Orum steps up and rolls uh, maybe like a 25 or something. It was crazy high. Um, and I think Matt was even like, 
you know, super pissed about this high roll. And Orm was like, I'm just going to keep bringing it up as this campaign goes on. But um, has this cool moment where he grabs Imogen, pulls her in to look through the telescope and piercing through this red swirling storm is a glint, a glint in the image. She peers closer and there she sees on Ruidus a city in the storm. And that's where this episode ended. Episode 30 of Campaign 3 of Critical Role, uh, Reunion and Revelation. Say so, what? Yep. So if you're checking out just the recap, you can click the link to get our full discussion. And heck, we want to know what you think of this crazy twist ending. Uh, having said that, Will, let's let's dive in. Yeah, dude. What, what an episode, especially just the whole... Uh, ending sequence i actually saw a twitter thread today as i was just browsing of somebody made a quick thread kind of breaking down the like the expertise of how matt like hit all those story beats at the end like leading into one another perfectly i'll i'll, mm -hmm. I'll link it to you i'll have to find it yeah um but it's yeah. hard to do as a dm by the way yeah like as a DM, um, and I know you and I have talked about doing like a separate like DM series. I think you're a phenomenal DM having played with you before. Um, but I know in terms of like world, I think you and I are probably a lot alike in that I really love to world build with my players. And, you know, they're probably like, please just end a story thread. <laughs> <laughs> but you do feel like sometimes I think of like a bowl of like spaghetti noodles that you've dumped on a table. And it's like, there's all these story beats that you want to have like these cool moments with. Uh, so I don't, I don't know the Twitter thread you're referring to, but I agree with you in that Matt both here and in general masterfully does such a great job of, and I think this just, this ties the analogy perfectly together, you know, tying spaghetti noodles together can feel really challenging. And yeah. he did such a great job of bringing things together. Yeah. And just the way he like, perfectly transitioned moments like because there's a lot of tension build up at, at the end here uh one because ira is there two because there's this big mystery about you know what really is happening with fern and the age difference and all this thing and it's right. kind of like this tension's building up leading to that moment of the realization from um ollie and birdie that like oh did we trade our daughter but yeah. before there's even a moment for that to like breathe it's ira i've finished installing the yeah. weave lens come look and you know yeah, leading building, straight into the yeah the building tension yeah and it's it's i don't know the concept what you call it but it's like oh, i can't even describe it without it sounding stupid of like yes that's exactly <laughs> what i just said but like it, i guess what i'm trying to say is like rather than having like one moment like constantly driving the stakes higher and higher like ira does this then ira says that then ira does this and like trying to I guess like constraining it to like one individual. I like how he allows these other like scenes, if you will, that are happening in the same space, collaboratively build the stakes of these final, you know, 25, 30 minutes. Yeah, for sure. Just, you know, I guess he's pretty good at the whole DM thing after yeah. all. <laughs> he's um, I <sighs> But yeah, so I just wanted to say that really quick, but yeah, um loved the episode. Uh, especially the second half. I mean, combat's always fun, especially with the craziness that happened with, you know, Laura almost killing everyone. But um, yeah, especially that, really that second cool. half, I really enjoyed. Yeah, I did too. I thought it was a great episode. Um, we it, definitely these last two episodes have 
um, given some direction to the story um, in the sense of there has been a little bit of a lull. I think we've talked a little bit about it. And so it's definitely sort of revitalized. And, and it actually, you kind of wonder, like, where do we go from here? Like, now we're all wondering, like, what is this city on Ruidus? It's going to be hard now to go back to hijinks, um, if that would even happen. But <laughs> I'm really excited for tonight. That's what I'll say is, I mean, I picking up where this previous episode laid, let, let off. Um, and they have, ha- they have um, Hondir there as well. So right. you have the the person, the goblin with the brains, who can hopefully shine some light on what might be happening here. Yeah, uh, I agree. It is interesting to see where it goes from here because I mean, it seems like, and obviously anything's possible, but it seems like Rudis is the end game of the whole campaign. It feels like, like whatever's happening there feels like final boss type stuff. But we're so early in the campaign that surely we're not right. launching straight into that right now. So what I'm wondering is maybe like this current arc is going to lead to a climactic moment of the prison opening. You know, we haven't really talked about this yet, but like the lattice weave that's protecting or whatever that kind of basically blowing open and that being some sort of event in and of itself. But then whatever that the domino effect of that will later in the later in the campaign lead to the big bad. So I think there's kind of like a, a mini ruidus arc that we could have in the immediate future, but overall it's still going to probably encompass the whole campaign. For yeah, my- I think, I think this month timeline we have till the Apogee solstice that that will be, that will be the opening of this gate, this barrier yeah. of some kind. Agreed. Um, and maybe the ley lines being pointed at it or something. And it, you know, creates a, you know, a road, so to speak. Um, yeah, it definitely feels like this, the major arc's going to be at opening. Yeah. And then all hell breaks loose and they have to figure out how to put the genie back in the bottle. <laughs> yeah. So, or maybe they don't. And like, Alexandria, as we know, it totally changes. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like, it won't be a genie you can put back in the bottle, honestly. Maybe, I mean, maybe they re-imprison it or something, but maybe just they have to eliminate whatever it is once and for all. But if the gods couldn't eliminate it, I don't know how they expect to. Yeah. So give me give me your best guess as to what this is, by the way. Oh, man. Okay. It- and we'll just, getting on the common ground, we have two data points. We know two gods who were, whose names were never mentioned in like, pre-calamity stuff. So presumably two gods who were there at the start and who are no longer there. And we have the data point of how Rudus has been described as a corrupting force and evil force that was sealed away. And then the last thing I'll say is we know there's a city on Ruidus. So tie it all together for me. (laughs) (laughs) Man, that's a lot. It's a lot to unpack. Uh, so also quick plug, I meant to do this earlier, but uh, I think you briefly mentioned it in the recap um, talking about, uh, or maybe I did. I'm losing my thought here. Uh, the point is we have a TikTok account. Find us on TikTok uh, at, I think it's Pixelists, but you can probably just search the Pixelists. And I actually recently did a few about Ruidus and um, kind of shedding some light on it, which we also talked about the main things 
that you can find on TikTok in our last episode of the podcast when we were reading from Call of the Netherdeep. Um, but anyway, all that to say is that we kind of have a baseline idea of, like you mentioned, there. Ruidus is this unidentifiable, unidentifiable power seeping through reality that the gods band it together to imprison, right? So my best guess is that it's. I know a lot of people are saying they think it could be Theris Dune, which I don't think I'm not of that camp. Uh, Theris Dune is another like. I don't. I don't know anything about. I saw a similar comment. I don't know, and I, I haven't deep dived into it. I don't know anything about Theris Dune. He's. Um. I don't know if it's fair to call him a betrayer god. I mean, he is. He's one of like the evil gods. Um. But like they, he not. He's not even really on their team. Kind of. He's just like chaos and evil uh but we know he's locked away and we know where he is at least he gets he gets sealed away before the rest of the betrayer gods do right isn't there like a spell or a ritual during the calamity that seals him away I th- yeah before um I, I i i said i didn't know anything when i was reading about calamity after watching calamity um i remember having read something like that yeah. So ba- um, yeah, and I off the top of my head I can't remember, but like we know where that prison is and it's not Ruidus. So unless that's just misinformation and in actuality he's on Ruidus, I don't think it's theirs, dude. Um but so my best guess though is that it's some other entity not one of the deities. If it's is it the same level as the Luxon? I don't know. The word alien is used a lot when it is described in Call of the Netherdeep. And so to me, I'm thinking it might be like a planet of mind flares or just some some alien other dimension force that was coming through and the gods were like, no, no, no. And imprisoned it's Dr. it. Strange. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Strange. So I'm going with. Yeah, I have I have a couple of theories. One since it's a city to me that implies followers of this God um, or, or at least um, so I'll give you like my weaker theory first. And then what I think it might be my weaker theory was I was envisioning a like tower of Babel type situation where, you know, the, they were shaping and they created um, living beings who got so powerful and wanted to be like gods themselves that they were banished away. And that's the, and this is the city they were banished away in doesn't really track with the alien descriptions. And then secondly, it also doesn't track with the age of Arcanum either in that, you know, if that happened, why would they then allow, right. You know, people to get back to that same point of like, we don't even need the gods. So weaker theory in my mind. The second one, this one also doesn't fully track well, was all the gods who came to Exandria um, during the founding. Could it be that there was one or two that were stronger or um, better loved than the others or basically like were a level ahead of everyone else and all of the other deities, including the betrayer gods and the primordials were like... um, dude, Chad and accounting kind of sucks. Like, <laughs> and they were just like, let's get rid of them. So uh, that's another thought I had. And so that maybe, maybe people were building temples and massive cities in the name of these deities and the other deities were jealous. And they were like, later, dude. 
again, it doesn't really track with the language around alien. Um, you know, I guess the third possible situation, if it does track with alien is that someone else came to Alexandria or maybe someone was, was already there. Mm. And I do like the jealousy angle though. Like the gods, the deities were like, you know, people really like the Luxon or whatever it is and banished it away. I don't know. Um, it is interesting though. It, the imagery that's been given so far seems to imply that it's a pretty explicitly evil force. Whether that's the case, we don't know, but we have Imogen's dream uh, where Matt verbatim says, you sense a, an evil presence, um, pretty explicitly evil. We have that. We have the squint, um, Ollie's dream prophecy of everything being withered and decayed away. And then third, we have um, Call of the Netherdeep, where the alien force is described as being like corrupting and evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, there's so many things. One, I'm just going to see as many as possible. <laughs> so that, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, and a couple things that I noticed people bring up that are more familiar with like the connected overarching D&D lore that um, I think are at least worth a mention um, which you know obviously Matt takes a lot of inspiration from the established lore but he also kind of makes it his own so I don't necessarily think it would be exactly either of these things but these might be the inspiration um, so there's this one entity and I might be butchering the pronunciation here but Sardior which is a like the dragon god of night in psionics which kind of tracks with what Imogen can do. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah. That's been like a major uh, tracking uh, thing. I can't find the words, man. It, that's come up a lot. So that's interesting. Yeah. How do you spell and, that? Uh, S-A-R-D-I-O-R. But here's what's interesting. Uh, Sardior's realm was a huge floating castle named the Ruby Palace, which orbited the world and always lay in the shadows of the sun. On nights it was seen, viewers often mistook it for a small red moon. Oh my gosh, bro, <laughs> bro, come on. So there's that, you know, it's gotta be that. And then there's also Hadar. We're going to what you just said and put it on TikTok <laughs> for whenever this happens to be true. We, we're going to be like, yeah, we said it on episode 31 when we were just reading someone else's. <laughs> we got it here first. And then we'll cut out like the other four total BS theories that we yeah, were off on. We'll cut out this one too. Yeah, we a, do it around here. <laughs> there's I'm another one. Um, so uh, let's, let's pause, if we can pause it for yeah, a second, yeah, yeah. though, that sounds like that sounds crazy accurate. Yeah. So now, like, like I said, how do you top that? I don't think that's like I don't think Matt would just lift that word for word and insert it, but I could totally see that being like the inspiration, for lack of a better word. Um, so you know who knows, but according to this, like Sardior was just a lesser deity. So it, it doesn't seem like, you know, it would require all the gods banding together to imprison him. Um, but again, you know, who knows what Matt shifted or changed if this is even what he started with. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but then there's also Hadar, which is another D&D um, like entity, an elder evil. H-A-D-A-R. Um, which in campaign two, there's a lot of spells like, like uh, the hunger of Hadar or the armor of Hadar. Uh, like Travis had that in campaign two. Um, so this is an entity that at least 
you know, maybe they just didn't change the name because they didn't want to, but it's at least acknowledged already in the campaigns. Um, but it's an elder evil from the far realm. And uh, the description is a cinder red star, barely visible in the sky. Like he traverses through the realms and that's what it looks like when it's like around. Yeah. So that's another, you know, red cosmic cosmic's not the right word, I guess, but red Mm-hmm. satellite entity um that's already established in D lore so i've seen a lot of people bring up both of those um maybe it's maybe it's both i mean hondir said there's two names that weren't of the original names and so um yeah, maybe it, maybe hadar showed up and everyone was like let's get rid of this and sardior was the only one who was like no it's it's a good thing and then they were like all right well then you're out <laughs> wait what <laughs> Yeah, so like I guess do we think that the two gods who have were missing essentially from modern history, but not stricken from the record, right. like the Important Raven Queens. New note. That's right. Because their name does exist on these texts in, in Eos or whatever. Do we think they're directly related to whatever is going on on Rudus? It's such a great and you said you don't think Matt would like lift. You know, I think Matt's really good at taking established lore and putting his spin on it or putting his twist on it. And I think a lot of people do this. I mean, I've done this with my own campaign where I take something like that, that's basic D&D lore and twist it. Um, and it only gets annoying when someone's like, you know, oh, that's from Critical Role. And I'm like, no, it's from D&D. <laughs> uh, so I could totally see Matt grabbing both of these and tweaking them, twisting them, maybe even combining them. I'm not really sure, but... That seems like a really great, I don't know, man. The fact that it looks like a tiny red moon. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. It's so. definitely interesting food for thought, at least. Oh, um, yeah. You guys will have to get in the comments and tell us what the heck you think's going on and what is going, yeah, what's going on. So, yeah. So to kind of encapsulate the end of my, my thoughts on this, not that we have to be done talking about it. Um, but so my, my best guess is those two deities are some way related. Now, if they are like what's imprisoned and it was like all Rudis is, is a prison for those two. I'm not necessarily saying that, but somehow connected. Um, all anyway. I'll say is that if we're heading to this prison being broken out of, I'm just going to say the prime deities are O for two on knowing <laughs> how to build a prison. So. <laughs> True. Oh. And uh, it's not just like a, oops, our bad, like, you know, two thirds of the population wiped out in the calamity. Like, who knows what could happen if Matt's going for a post calamity calamity type event. It could be pretty insane, man. It could be like some real loss and tragedy that's happening that could happen. So, yeah, I don't know for sure. Um, but so, OK, so the two deities while potentially connected potentially are what's imprisoned the language. And of course the stuff in call of the nether deep could be like not true. You know what I'm saying? Like, not that it's just blatant lies, but like there could be an element of like, this is what people believe to be true, but it's not actually the case type of thing. But according to that, it does say alien energy that the gods banded together to banish. So to me, that language doesn't make it seem like, 
two of the DDs were excommunicated and banished, you know? Like, maybe they were, like, maybe they, what's the word, defected from the rest of the deities and were, like, siding right. with this alien energy, and so that's why they were forgotten. But anyway, so there's this alien energy that is, let's call it above the deities since it took all of them to imprison it. Maybe that's not fair. But there's this entity that is at least power level-wise on a whole nother level, which the only thing we know about that can do something like that is the Luxon, which um, in campaign two, we kind of learned more about the Luxon and this isn't really spoilers. I mean, it kind of is, but not really, not like directly plot related. Um, I'm I'm connecting a long strain here. So bear with me. Um, uh, So the Luxon, we know that people in uh, wild Mount like worship this thing. There are these beacons that they believe to be representative of its power um, and these beacons are used to like store people's souls that are then like reborn and they it's called you're consecuted um, and that when when you die your soul goes in this thing and then it exits into a new body and eventually you regain all the memories of your past life um, and that's like a thing that happens that's not just like a belief like that 100% has happened Rudis born people this into this Rudis, whatever it is, can affect people when they're born. It they become Rudis born. It twists their fate and stuff. I'm wondering if there's some sort of interesting parallel here where Rudis born people are kind of consecuted their version. And we know there's a city on it. Is it somehow able to like leak through this prison and like uh... imbue souls into people on Exandria that are Rudis born? And at some point they like awaken and it's their job to like ultimately free Rudis. All right. So let's, let's, let's just recap this again. So when someone's consecuted, is this a made up word? <laughs> uh, I don't know. When Matt made it up, but consecuted, their soul goes into a box. You said into a beacon, which we've, we've talked about them briefly. There was a fake one in that museum, you know, All right, into a beacon mm-hmm. and then very powerful. At, what happens when they're in the beacon? By the way, they're they're just like no, they're just chilling. I, so, it, yeah, yeah. All right, uh, let's, let's start from the top. Okay, when you're consecuted <laughs> and you die, your soul goes into the beacon. If there's a beacon nearby, if there's a beacon <laughs> beacon nearby, yeah. Eventually, after however many years, your soul will re-enter a new body, right? And you will be reborn. Mm-hmm. And at some point down the road, you may get your memories back from your former life. And in theory, people who were on Ruidus imprisoned who have died are maybe leaking through the lattice and being reborn on Exandria as Ruidus born as maybe some greater plot to get a man outside the cage to open the lock. Do I have that right? That's yeah, that's what I'm saying. And that's how you play D and D. Let me just, yeah, I will not probably not share any of this with my wife because um, it'd be just way too much. But <laughs> but she couldn't handle it. She would just be like, "I just don't. I just want to shoot my bow." Like you're nerding too hard. Yeah, yeah, you're way too hard. <laughs> um, so. so I don't know. I just think that. I mean, that's definitely. I feel like a long shot. But here's what we know. I actually do like that theory, though. By the way, because. Again, not that whatever Ruidus is is the antithesis to the Luxon, but it would make sense. 
since it's seemingly stronger than the deities as we know them. But also we know Brutus born people to at least be believed to be cursed and to have all this, you know, mm -hmm. call the nether deep says it twists their fate and stuff. Now we know Fern is Brutus born and Imogen probably is. I'm not saying that they are going to at some point lose their agency and become NPCs if, you know, cause I don't see that happening. Like, so maybe it's not exactly the same as consecution, but what's kind of interesting is we know Odahan to be the woman from Imogen's dreams and she disappeared during the war. What if she is like an activated Ruidus born? Like she was whoever she was. And then it's something happened. And now she is like full on agent of Ruidus trying to break it free, which we know she's the leader of the Paragon's call. She's dealing with the unseelie court and whatever machine they're building. I just, some it doesn't all perfectly fit, but I feel like maybe there's some elements of what I'm grasping at that could be at play here. Mm. So how does it tie in with the Apotheon? Um, right. What's his face? So um, we know the Apotheon, which is Elixian. And again, right. check us out on TikTok if you want the elaborate breakdown of this. Um, but he was Rudus born. And he is the one that committed the heroic sacrifice that we mentioned in the right. recap and Matt mentioned in this last episode. Because um, Marquette used to be jungles and then this betrayer god attacked. Elixian came in at the last second, sacrificed himself, and boom, Marquette became desert, but not everybody died. So he's now down in the nether deep, which is this realm that was created when this fight happened. Right. And it says his connection to Ruidus flared to life in that moment and created this nether deep realm. And he's trapped down there. And in Call of the Nether Deep, there's a whole adventure that you can go. Yeah. So is he do you think he's in a state of like basically almost death? Um like hit so hard it sent him to another dimension. Uh, <laughs> but you know, in like his near death uh anxiety is not the right word like gone mad i guess um do you think that's allowed him to because i'm trying to figure out like the if we're if we're acknowledging that ruidus is has sentience of some kind what is that sentience trying to do with elixian and so i'm trying to think did did elixian in a moment of destruction call out to Ruidus and basically say like, you know, spare me or, you know, I don't know. Like, I'm just trying to think like the possibilities of him being in this, in the nether deep, creating the nether deep really. Um, and in a state of seemingly insanity uh, and tragic emotions of just what's all happened. Um, I don't know. Like what's, what's your, your thought process there? I mean, my thought process is that whatever Ruidus is doing with these Ruidus-born people is ultimately to free itself. Like, you know, it might be millennia-long domino chains here of what it's trying to accomplish, but it's something, right? So for Elixian in particular, maybe his purpose was to create the Netherdeep. And diving a bit more deep into what we've learned in that book is that he is trapped there um, and he's like tormented basically because he's trapped and he lost and uh is alone and like it, he's like twisted this realm to be like this right. realm of sadness and despair and this new element appeared this red 
right. stone that they call ruidium, which similar to the null rock uh, is said to like corrupt and stuff those who it touches. So maybe Ruidus's plan with him was to create the nether deep and to create ruidium that is going to spread out through Exandria, maybe corrupt more people and get more agents to its. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Call. That's a nice tie in for me for sure. But I brought it up because presumably Adahan, the, the Paragon's call is interested in possibly freeing uh, Elixion, the Paragon, um, or in some way interested. I mean, they're not operating in Ancorel as far as we know. Um, but it seems like there's a tie in there. Uh, and it, I just, I, I mentioned it in the recap, it, it's a bit too convenient for me in the sense of, I feel like there has to be intentionality there of the fact that, um, Matt from like a lore standpoint described Marquette as, um, having been through this apocalyptic event that had pretty much, you know, created desert and all and created the landscape. So he mentions that, which I thought was a on the nose isn't the right word, but I just thought it was like, hmm, do you know we're thinking about you? <laughs> you know, thinking about this. Yeah. So you mentioned that kind of casually. Well, most people this, probably wouldn't even make that connection though, you know? Right. But I mean, if but 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 again though, as a DM, I've made sort of just off the cuff comments. You know, I have a I have um uh a player who whose mom is a genie that she's been separated from her whole life and they were asking about this this famous person and like all the myths about how they came to power and i was like yeah some say that he encountered a genie who granted him a wish and no one even like batted an eye to it but it was a very intentional <laughs> yeah, yeah. i just like keep mentioning did i tell you the story of the genie by the way but <laughs> like many times but, yeah, to your point though, I think it was absolutely intentional on Matt's part. Uh, but and then also the second thing I was going to say on top of that though is this crawler gang. Um, what are they called? The, the uh, Fist of the Ruiners or Fist of the Ruiner Grumsh Grumsh. Mm-hmm. I want to say his name. Uh, who was the person who struck down Elixion? Right. So he's definitely setting the pieces there. I think in time they're definitely going to find out about. Not nece- I don't necessarily think the campaign's going to go to the Nether Deep. It doesn't have to. Maybe it does. I think that'll be on the table for them to do if they want to do. Um, but I think they're absolutely going to find out more about, especially since he dropped that breadcrumb, more about what specifically happened in Marquette. So they will probably learn of Elixian and maybe even draw the connection to the Paragon's call because if they find out that he was called the Paragon or whatever. Um but if that leads to them like literally doing the adventure from Call of the Nether Deep, I'm not so sure. But yeah. it, it is interesting. I was reading more about that adventure, and like you can, like it's possible to save and redeem him. It's possible to kill him, and it's possible to like he gets out not redeemed. Um, <laughs> that's so. the bad option. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't let that happen. What's yeah, interesting I mean, though is if uh, if they do, I think it's if they redeem him. It might also be if they kill him. But if he's redeemed, all ruidium disappears. Interesting. Which yeah, so I don't really know what to make. Yeah, of that, I wonder but. if that's if that's a uh, you know 
last chance action that the party will i don't know if they i mean it might be a little bit too like redundant to just like follow out the actual <laughs> yeah you've been playing they call the nether deep module this whole time <laughs> yeah so <laughs> they look behind the dm screen and matt's like just on like page 42 of the book <laughs> like uh yeah you see it in. Uh, oh while we're here i did want to mention uh just a cool little connection so again all information from call of the nether deep but this nether deep realm that we are talking about actually is beneath on corel because uh, that's where the city that the battle took place in and um people have fa like found it uh so it's not it's not like an unknown quantity um matt even I was talking to you about this the other day. There's a moment in campaign one where Matt describes like this excavation site. So they had, I don't know the timeline of when they found it, but at this point in campaign three, that's at least some people have known about it for many years, uh, you know, a couple decades even. Anyway, um, this group called the Allegiance of Allsight are the people that like were researching it. They're like this group of academics in Ancarel. And uh, the leader, the current leader of the Allegiance of Allsight is Grease. Alacritos, the character that we met at the ball in Drusar that wow. introduces what? Chetney to Ajit Dial or whatever. Bro. And they were looting his office. Ooh, or his room. Yeah, Remember? I forgot about that. Oh, they were... crap. That's totally connected, right? Because it was <laughs> yeah, the Paragon's were... call that were doing it. That's right. Well, well, it was it was what's his name? It was Treshy, right? Call, yeah, there's a there is a link there, but we don't know if Armand was looting it on their behalf or just Armand was looting it. Which because um, it was the chick that was doing it, right? The yeah. girl he came with, slime girl. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So maybe not directly related, but at least the high chance that it was related. So the archaeological society who was digging and discovering and this city is led by Grease. Yes. Now I don't know if he was the leader back when it was first yeah. discovered or whatever, but he's the current leader. And for those of you who may have forgotten, in a previous episode in Drasar, during a ball that brought in a bunch of people from outside town, um, Grease's room was being looted by um, I can't think of her name. Evil chick either. and uh, little minions. <laughs> yeah. So that's pretty crazy. Which this this is not connected because it's the wrong city, but I'm still going to say it. It's interesting that I mean that's, this is not worth saying because it's not <laughs> the same city. But if if on Corel was Drusar, then we would maybe know what those shade creepers were up to digging those tunnels because maybe they would be digging toward the Nether Deep, but hmm. it's not the case. So wasted everyone's time with this this thought yeah um do we think this campaign is going to be about as long as the previous two i think so but actually somebody asked me on twitter the other day if i thought it was going to be short because apparently a lot of people think it's going to be shorter but i don't i don't know why what, it would be what so. data is out there for someone to think it's going to be shorter i wonder uh at least the person that was that had tweeted at us was saying some other like critical role theory crafters were, were saying that because I think mm. because they felt like everything was moving so quickly, like in terms of like, we're already at, you know, Brutus has a city and stuff or whatever. 
I don't know if that, this, that episode might not have even have been out. Such an interesting but. concept when you have no idea how a story ends to be like, that right. moment is so big. We must be at the end. Right. Um, and then also it's so funny. Just like there's no pleasing um, just certain fans that were like, it's going so slow. And then people being <laughs> like, it's almost over. It's going so fast. Yeah. Well, all this to say, we know campaign two was 141 episodes. Campaign one was 115 episodes. So all that to say, we could be around a fourth of the way or a fifth of the way through the campaign so far. Um, maybe more, maybe less. Uh, and uh, it's crazy how fast it's gone. Yeah, and for those that didn't watch or aren't familiar with campaign one or two, the discrepancy there with campaign two having 40 extra episodes is because campaign one didn't pick up from session one, um, not to get into a whole lore dump of Critical Role, but they were right. already playing at home for several sessions uh, before they decided to make it a Twitch stream. So we kind of pick up 20 episodes in on campaign one. Um, so campaign two wasn't like deliberately longer. They were probably about honestly the same length if you count their home games. Anyway, right. so yeah. So for my money, I think another data point for why people thought it was shorter just because of all like, you know, before this campaign started, they talked about like you're in for a lot of surprises and stuff this time around. So I think maybe that is also a facet of it. But hmm. I mean, at this stage, I feel like surprise, it's over, <laughs> <laughs> you know, which have we have we got like, I wonder what is in their mind when Matt says that. I wonder what he's thinking um, in terms of what's yet to come. So wait, what do you mean? Like what Matt thinks when he sees people say that they think it's almost over? No, when Matt says like when it, when there was the 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 oh. disclaimer is not the right word the hype around the campaign being like we're going to do things that we've never done before, I just wonder what has transpired. I mean, I guess and it doesn't really matter honestly, but I know uh, Travis the, the nature of how he came into the show, yep. uh, Erica Ishi, um, her character on the show. But I'm just curious what else could be coming. I guess Dorian. So. As well, like starting yep. with a guest and a guest lasting for so long. Right. Uh, right. So there's already been a number of things that I think they could have been talking about there. And is a, sh a shorter campaign a possible entity on that list they might have been referring to? Sure. But at this point, I think that's just a wild guess that really doesn't have any true basis at this point. So for my money, it's going to be a similarly linked campaign. I mean, unless they get TPK'd, then I mean, we could be done in two weeks. I, I don't want that to happen, but it, I would be so interested to see what they do from there. Like, I don't think the campaign would end. I think they would just roll new characters and somehow. It would be hard. Yeah. It would be really hard for sure. It's different when you set up the campaign that way versus when it hasn't quite been done yet. Like Calamity, we knew everyone was going to die for the most part. Yeah. Um, spoilers, sorry. Um, <laughs> and then I think we haven't watched Crown of Candy but I know Brennan, I think towards the start gives like a, like says that he told the players to have like backup characters ready. Um, interesting. So I don't know. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, well, we're, we're running out of time. Um, I want to talk to you about Fern. Yeah. If you guys. That. What? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I, I don't know why I was waiting like on a more for you to say, like go on. I was like, wait, did I get, did he mute or yeah. something? <laughs> okay. Two data points. One. Do you think Travis was spot on 
when he made an insight on basically Birdie and Ollie not telling the whole story. I was so I wanted to bring this up too because I was so curious because I mean we coming off of Travis freaking hitting the bullseye with you and here he is coming again with his theories i feel like he must he feels pretty convicted so i feel like there must be something that he has picked up on but at the same time it feels to me that birdie and ollie are telling the truth so what i'm thinking is maybe they were they were being manipulated um by ira and or morgan and so like while they maybe aren't aware of the machinations maybe travis chetney has can see you know something and that's why he's grilling them so hard but what was your thoughts yeah that's that's fair i mean i do like what you said there of like you know they do mention that morgan was the only one they could go to um and so i kind of if morgan is as you know devilishly clever as how she's been portrayed to be I wonder if she manipulated them to steal the Moontide crown, knowing that she was the only one that they could trust. It does feel like to Travis's credit that there's there's a there's a detail missing from the story a bit. Um, in that they are very naively just like, yeah, this is what we did. And like we don't know what it was for. I don't know, you know, and just it it feels a little too naive. Um yeah. so I think there's an insight there for sure. Um, but I, yeah, I like what you said. It'd be interesting if they were actually manipulated into doing it. Um, and yeah, like you said, maybe Ira too. I don't know. Um, which I love how Ira again with the children thing was like, Oh, that was my employer. But we know in the previous scene with Armand, he asked Armand if he, if Armand would like him to get more children and Armand's like, no, you freak. Like what is wrong with you? Like almost sort of like, it's almost like out of Ira's pleasure that he's asking to do that. And so this little data point of him being like, Hey, that was my boss. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I'm surprised that the party didn't like push on that at all. See, are you referring to when they first confronted him in his office or what? When, I'm trying to remember that when conversation. Chetney, Chetney snuck down before they confronted him. Chetney was in, um, uh, the moon tower, the, the moon tower in the dude's office finds the trap door. Was that Treshy he was talking to though? No, I guess it was actually would have been the business guy, right? Whoever the moon tower offices was right. Right. Which I can't remember. But his name. over, over here's Ira Ask basically. For, yeah. Yeah. Basically asking for permission to get more children. Uh, and the person's like, no, you psycho. I don't want you to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't know. I for me, it's kind of like Ira's trying to like kind of you know snuff out the fire a little bit. But you have to think about Ira's in game here, and so I'm wondering if we're we're heading towards like a major betrayal from Ira in some way. Um, I don't know. Yeah, which is it your understanding that you know we had that moment of realization from Birdie and Ollie of oh God, like to betray Fern since they were so caught off guard by that, I don't think that was them like acting in the moment. So I'm wondering, did Ira trade like, cause like did Ira trade Fern on like for the weave lens, you know? And like, they just kind of were, uh, they didn't really realize what was happening. Right. I think it, there seems to be this implied piece of Ira and Morgan knowing each other 
Mm-hmm. And so that, that seems to make sense to me. And also it almost seems like they were turning to Ira to ask, like, did you know about this? Yeah. Like, did and you Ira's do like, that? Okay. It's done. Whoa, look, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Look at, whoa, what is that? You know? And so it, it definitely seems like Ira is in the know in some way. So that's, I'm wondering if he working with Morgan or not, you know, maybe is, more involved here than he's letting on like i don't know the exact timeline of when they came to him if it was before they stole the moon crown or after but like maybe he even set that up again with or without morgan being in on it i don't know but we know that morgan's probably a hag if if not literally a hag uh she's uh, we don't know how old she is people avoid her she's called the fate stitcher she can control time in her domain like Fern is really like, I don't know, like Fern doesn't, isn't scared of her, like loves her. So that's the interesting kind of twist here is that like, was this all like a very under the table manipulative thing and Maury just like fell in love with Fern or, you know, like that's, that's where I'm confused is that like Fern isn't like Fern loves her. So it's not as if she's just like a pure evil entity that it's manipulating people. But I mean, I guess both things could be true. Like you could be, I think they could be true. I mean, you know, Thanos loved one of his daughters, you know, the one that he didn't like (laughs) horribly torture. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I do kind of like the theory though, that perhaps Morgan and Ira, whether they were a thing or not, set some things in motion and saw an opportunity with birdie and Ollie to basically take advantage of them and get some things done. Um, as some, as a couple of saps, uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah. And it is interesting that Ira doesn't really look like a typical, uh, Faye Wilderian <laughs> and he's kind of like distorted and stuff. And we know, Maury isn't either. She's 15 feet tall. And also Fern's mm-hmm. really tall, which neither of her parents are. They made a comment about that. Like, oh, maybe Maury made me taller. So like, just yeah. what the heck is going on? <laughs> there was something like that. Um, but they also recognize they're much younger than her. I think they said they're around 50. So yeah, the timelines still didn't add up to me. Yeah, they they clarified it, but I it was still so clunky that I couldn't say it here. But I think they said that they expected her to be around 14 years old. Yeah, which makes no sense because she was born seven years ago to them, right? I don't ascribe to the theory that she was born, they had the premonition, and then they swapped her. I had the the understanding that she was born under the red moon. A premonition happened, whether it was that night or later. And then as time went on, they saw... Ruidus, the same moon that Ollie couldn't seem to get away from, creeping through the Feywild, and that's what caused like all to happen. Going to the darkest part of the Feywild, like taking the crown, like trading off Fern. Um, I don't know if that helps or not, but yeah. that's kind of how it makes sense in my head. That I can buy that, but then that would mean that that year, like the time between when she was born and when they finally started doing things, was about seven years because then they, to them, they've right. left her with Maury for seven years that's like anyway she could be 14 anyway don't need to get lost on it right now but quick things about 
the Unseelie court and stuff, we know that they are working with Odahan and another person was described, another non-Feywildian. Uh, there's probably a better word for that. Don't butcher me. Uh, which is described as this older elf and like blue and silver robes or something. A lot of people think this could be Ludinus Deleth, who is a character from Campaign 2. Um, uh, very powerful, not great guy. Um, I'm not convinced that it's him. I mean, there could be a lot of elves that wear certain color robes. It totally could be him, but I'm not. I know some people are like fully send it. That was definitely him. Um, so that's definitely going to be interesting if it is him. Um, but so just wanted to throw that out there really quick. Uh, he was the leader of the Cerberus Assembly, for those of you that are familiar with Campaign 2. Basically just a group, this group of extremely powerful mages. Um, finally, the device. I'm wondering if the device they are building, perhaps unknowingly, if they don't really know what's going on, like if the Unseelie Court doesn't really understand what they're getting into, maybe they do. I wonder if the device is similar to the Astral Layrite and its purpose is to utilize this Apogee Solstice to free Ruidus. Yeah, I like the connection there of... Um, didn't the Cerberus Assembly, like... No, I'm thinking of the Cobalt Soul. One of them, like, is like the library of, like, banned Yeah, that's books. the... <laughs> uh, well, not banned books, but the Cobalt Soul is like the detective monks basically okay but doesn't someone like manage like a librarium of like ancient texts that are like too powerful for like we can't let this technology get out kind of stuff um or is that the cerberus assembly i don't know if it's exactly that uh but they are like the cobalt soul is like librarians in a sense okay what was the cerberus assembly uh just this powerful group of uh, like Archmages in the Dwindalian Empire, which is like the human empire. Yeah, okay. From most of the ones we've met aren't great. Kind of like okay. power hungry, you know, type of things without getting into too many spoilers. But yeah, okay. this this dude is but the leader, the people that think, the, the guy that people think this might be, he was the leader of the Cerberus Assembly. Interesting. Well, the I guess it doesn't make sense now. The data point I was drawing on was um, if there has been like discovery of like ancient texts in Vasselheim, is it possible the Cerberus Assembly has gotten their hands on it, found like the blueprints for the astral lay right, and like you said, is building something like that? Um, then again, it was Laren's kind of under under the table project, so doesn't quite make sense but yeah and not that it's like literally the astral ley right but just its purpose <laughs> is to harness yeah. ley line energy and with their goal being to free three episodes from now matt's like this is literally the astral ley <laughs> it's the same one <laughs> yeah. yeah and uh and there's planes rinder ren laren who's you know, <laughs> oh my gosh to... what a connection yeah okay all right my friend we are unfortunately out of time um, any other last minute data points that you want to, you want to mention? Um, I'm interested, which we may never know, but what Ashley thought she realized at the end of the episode where she was like, Matt, I'll wait till the That's camera's right. off. I, That's I right. really want to know what that was about, but, yeah. uh, no, we hit most of the things I wanted to talk about. Um, yeah. could so, be yeah. going to the moon. We'll see. It seems that way, man, especially with all that spell jammer content that you know, D and D has released recently. feels like it would be all too perfect for that to get showcased in critical role. Right. Right. 
Um, but new well, episode shortly. Yeah, new episode, and then we're going to be recording tomorrow. Yeah, so uh, short wait. So, yeah. Uh, having said that, thumbnail. Oh, hmm. Maybe looking through the telescope. I don't really know how that's gonna. Yeah, yeah I like it. Uh, also, they haven't officially. Oh, let's do this real quick. Okay. <laughs> they haven't officially said that next week is off but next week is the last week of the month and usually they take off so i'm about to be out of town for you know 10 12 days so if they take the week off then there won't be any interruptions here but if there is an episode next week well i don't know what we're gonna do but maybe just know that that might be an issue stay tuned yeah <laughs> well, already yeah. all right guys yeah, thanks for watching and um, be on the lookout for our giveaway. Yeah. So we appreciate you and enjoy tonight's episode. Goodbye.